Hello everyone and welcome to Bud Podcast. I'm Ellie and I'm really excited to be joined today by Nigel Wallace, former director at Lifetime Training. Nigel, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. At Bud, we like to surround ourselves with industry experts and gain unique insight into hot industry topics. Today we are going to be talking about traineeships and the impact, or perhaps lack of, that they've had on the sector. So let's get straight into it. Traineeships were introduced by the government as one way to tackle youth unemployment. Nigel, do you think they've been successful so far? Well, I think if you look at the numbers, you have to say they haven't been successful, both in terms of the numbers of enrolment and also the progression from traineeship to apprenticeship or employment is, is relatively poor. I think one of the reasons for that is that all the parties involved in order for a system to flourish must feel the benefit. And if any of the three are not buying into that system, then the chain starts to break. It, does, it doesn't really work. You'll always find pockets of success and in traineeships there have been pockets of success where employees, training providers and young people have worked in harmony to put together a great scheme. But pockets aren't really good enough and they're not really sustainable. So I think on the whole you have to say that traineeships haven't quite hit the mark. Yeah, I think that's very true and uh, certainly we've seen perhaps that a lot of learners, they're not really interested in the traineeship route. They would rather go straight into apprenticeships. Yeah. And I think perhaps uh, that, that has been an issue. So why do you think this chain, as you've called it, has not linked together? Well, I think um, to use a, a sort of well-used phrase, um, I'm not going to say unprecedented. That's probably been <laughs> overused. But I think a phrase, you know, perception is reality. And from the outset, I think traineeships have been viewed as work experience in a shiny wrapper. And I think that stayed, it's stuck. And generally employers are not warm to work experience. They've never really felt that it's something that is productive for them. I think it, on the main, because they've had people for a short period um, and therefore they just see it as a bit of a hassle factor. It can absorb supervisors time without getting productivity from the individual. Now, you, you could argue that employers should give back to their local community, you know, and in doing so and in operating traineeships, they'll really be driving a sort of a higher talent pool, which they fish in. So therefore they're sort of serving themselves by supporting their locality and bringing people forward and developing their skills. But they're not buying into that. So if they're not buying into that, it needs to be addressed. And it's sort of, as you mentioned, you know, young people are not buying into traineeships. There isn't clarity about what the real benefits for them are. Um, employers are not buying into it en masse. And if they're not buying into it en masse, that makes it difficult for training providers. Because in order for training providers to have it commercially viable, they need a turnover and a churn and a continuous refulfilling of the pot, if you like, so that they can actually drive a program that is, is sustainable. So, you know, as I said, there have been pockets of success. There are programs running now that are, that are fantastic, but that is not the blueprint for a, for a skills plan you do need scale and it really just doesn't have that right now so that the chain as i mentioned isn't really going to link together isn't really going to drive forward yeah i think that's really interesting and 
as you say, I think, you know, if all, all three parties don't buy in, there, there is a problem. Um, so obviously the government over the past year, you know, they've been talking all the time about the pandemic. Um, and they say that, you know, undoubtedly they have an apprenticeships. Um, but they say that the pandemic has impacted on a number of traineeship starts as well. Uh, do you think this is true? Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, if you look at apprenticeships, they've struggled through the pandemic, although there are sort of green shoots forming now. Traineeships having not the scale or, if you like, the accepted benefits of uh, apprenticeships have, um, you know, have really struggled. And, and that's not surprising. But I think the pandemic offers an opportunity um, to sort of reinvent. A lot of businesses are going to be rethinking how they um, develop their own workforces there may be an opportunity and maybe it's an opportunity missed by the government to sort of reinvent the pre-employment program to come back stronger to come out of this with something new rather than just trying to push a little bit harder with something that hasn't really hit home today so, so, so maybe um, you know there hasn't been enough thought and there hasn't been enough working during this time using it as, as an opportunity rather than something that's a challenge. And I think that there may be an issue with the brand of traineeships. Maybe the brand just isn't going to be able to change, if you like, the way people view it. And therefore, had they come back with something new under a new banner, even if it was traineeships wrapped in a different banner, it may have had a better chance of success. Yeah, that's um, certainly a very good point. So obviously the government have introduced this new £1,000 incentive for each traineeship start. Do you think this initiative will help to improve the number of starts over the next four, six months, year? Well, I think all incentives help, um, but it's whether they help enough. Um, and £1,000 over the average term for traineeship is a, is a decent amount but whether it's enough to move the dial or whether it's actually the right incentive. You know, I always think there's a risk with cash incentives because the focus shifts away from benefits towards the cash. And if the cash isn't permanent, then when that goes away, you know, are the benefits well known enough? Is there enough clarity around the values of the actual program to sustain it in the long term? And I'm just not sure that's the case. If, if the cash isn't even moving the dial, then it really shows you that there's a problem, a fundamental problem with the actual programme itself. You know, and as I said before, if in the end, if the three parties, the training providers, the employers and the candidates don't see benefits, then the system won't get going. It won't get going, it won't gear up. And the other thing that I think is um, worth notice is that at this point in time, many industries um, don't quite know what their workforce is going to look like. They don't quite know what their skills needs are. You know, society has changed. Industries have changed. Many industries will be much more about survival than thriving. And in that context, with those challenges, you know, maybe the sort of incentive pales into insignificance because employer mindset will be somewhere else rather than going back to a scheme that they were never totally happy with beforehand. Yeah, and I think that actually what you've just said really lines up with the stats that we've seen in the first quarter of this year, because 
traineeship starts between January and March in 2020 and 2021 have looked very much the same, despite the fact that this £1,000 incentive has been in place. So perhaps, as you say, the core of the traineeship needs to start and actually the cash incentive is somewhat irrelevant. So uh, what what do you think the solution is to this traineeship uh, issue? Well. Yeah, the million Bitcoin question. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not sure. I, I. I. have a solution. I don't think I'm sort of entrenched enough in traineeships and have given that sufficient thought. But what I would say is probably the principles of where to look for a, a solution are probably a little clearer and a little easier to find. You know, fundamentally, the program needs to be right, and I think that needs looking at in terms of the content and the structure and the way that the program is is delivered. And then, as a, a, you know, repeatedly said, it's got to appeal to all stakeholders. So in looking at that particular programme and the costing and the funding and all that, that sits around it, um, it needs to suit all the purposes of all the, all the parties. Um, and then I think it, it, it needs complete clarity. I think there's a, there's a real challenge with vocational training in general, because when people search, I'm a parent, I'm a school governor, when I search, I often come across government, the government websites. And that's where I'm going to find my information about a particular scheme. And as we know, government talks a language that is maybe not common to all. And it's sometimes difficult for each of these parties to gain from those websites or from those packets of information exactly what they need from it. So I think fundamentally, vocational training needs a communications plan not just for launchers, say we had a new pre-employment scheme, not traineeships, because that might be broken, um, a new pre-employment scheme, then the communication plan needs to look at the target audience. It needs to segment its audience, and then it needs to talk to the audience in the language and with the questions that they want answered. Because the way a parent would want something answered is very different to how a training provider would want their answer. So I think then it, there's, there's, there's other things that also would help. So not just the clarity of communication and the consistent communication plan, um, but also sector bodies have a role to play. In, in many industries, career plans are just not set. It's very difficult if you're a young person looking to go into a particular industry to see how does a career look in this industry and what qualification and training maps against each one of those staging posts how do I sort of move up the ladder you know we often look at things in linear terms we think you do an apprenticeship you do a level two well then you do a level three well I'm not sure that's a, a great way to be thinking because you may start off as an apprenticeship at level two and that may be your gateway into a career but in order to do the next stage, it might not be an apprenticeship. It might not be an 18 month program that is right for you. It might actually just be a short course. It might be that you need experience and mentoring or some other form of qualification. And people think it's a sort of a linear route, you know, go up through the apprenticeship levels. When actually, if there was a clear career map with the um, associated programs and support that goes with that in order to move up those ladders, and then traineeships or whatever the pre-employment program was embedded into these maps, 
then they become part of the fabric of how somebody starts a career, progresses a career, and then sort of, you know, moves up through through the ladder. So for me, that there's, there's elements that need to happen. There's clarity of communication, and then there's um, clarity of opportunity, and that the traineeships would sit within that structure to give it this sort of credible stamp. That was really interesting, thank you. So perhaps what we need to do as an industry is very much view each learner as an individual and realise that there is not one path for every learner and uh, provide for every learner to have their own unique path and whether that's to go down the apprenticeship route and switch into something else or take indeed a traineeship and then move on to apprenticeship route we need to accept that there are many different paths and we need to cater to allow learners to be able to follow the one that's right for them. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So I guess what I want to ask now is where do you see vocational training heading in the future? And I guess what role will traineeships or pre, pre-employment schemes play in this? Well, I, I think we've seen the world is becoming increasingly digital and vocational training is just going to fall into that pattern. Um, and we've seen over the pandemic period how blended training actually has seemingly just kept engagement and it hasn't really dropped once training providers have understood and got the right platforms and systems in place and content in order to be able to support their learners. So as you, as you mentioned, you know, I, I think training will just move down this route that we're all going which is going to become much more uh, personalized much more localized um, will go ever more blended in towards the digital side of the uh, equation and it's those that provide engaging platforms and content that can provide sort of on-demand and personalized training that are going to be the winners um, there's no doubt that over time and even it's starting now that machine learning and ai will eventually drive the experience. Um, I can't foresee the total removal of human contact because essentially we're, we're social beings and we, we need a bit of that. But the blend is only going one way. And, it, and for me, it's clear people need to get on board with that particular trend. And pre-employment will just go the same way. Um, you know, there's no reason really why with the um, improvements in virtual reality, that work experience couldn't form part of that. And that may be the solution that people are looking for, the solution that employers are looking for, for individuals and our gen alphas or whatever they are, the younger (laughs) ones coming through at the moment can never remember which generation is which. But basically those that are actually more digitally embedded, if you like. I think that's, you know, that's definitely the VR route. And um, on television recently there was a Stacey Dooley documentary um, where she was going into American prisons and they were using interactive VR to prepare prisoners for release back into society and and when you think actually if you've been put away for about 20 years coming out must be a really scary thing to do and for you to get comfortable to have the capability to run interactive VR of everyday tasks that for us we don't even notice but for them would absolutely freak them out is is a fantastic tool 
And, you know, if VR can get prisoners comfortable, to, you know, to face a new environment, then I definitely think it can support a young person to transition into the workplace. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, going back to your point earlier about traineeships and uh, employers not v being very willing to provide essentially work experience for six weeks or six months, virtual reality could probably play a big role in that because if the trainee could get experience through virtual reality uh, for the most part, instead of having to get it directly from an employer, um, that could definitely act, I guess, as uh, as a solution to the employer's not being incentivized problem. Yeah, and I think in the end, AI and machine learning will drive that virtual reality. So where people need more of something, less of another, the training or the sort of the, the route that they would follow on their learning path would adapt accordingly. So their needs would be met. And then they obviously put that into practice. Definitely. Well, Nigel, thank you very much for joining me. That was a really insightful discussion on traineeships and it's been, it's been great to talk to you today. Well, no, it's great to be somewhere, actually, anywhere these days. <laughs> so thank you. So uh, I guess all that remains to say is thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and listen to the other podcasts we have with industry experts. So until next time, goodbye.